Luke chapter 11, we'll begin in verse 53, we'll read to the second verse of chapter 12. And as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently, and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him, and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. His name's not mentioned there, but certainly this is Jesus. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless our lesson tonight. Father, we praise you, Lord, for this opportunity yet again to come together, Father, surrounding uh, Well, this piece of word that you have for us, this piece of your word, this piece of eternal truth, Father, that you have given to us, Lord, I'm grateful for the privilege, Father, to consider your word with your people. Help us, Lord, to apply this word to our lives. Father, be grateful for what you have given to us, not from my lips, Father, but by the Holy Spirit, what has been written down and presented to each one of your people to find for themselves. But we thank you, Father, for this forum and this place that we might consider it together. Bless our time together tonight, Father, and help us to be grateful, Lord, to be with one another in it. We give you the glory tonight, and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just giving you the context of this passage here, Jesus was invited to eat, dine over at the home of a Pharisee. Uh, He accepted that invitation, and while he was there, he took opportunity to do as he typically did, to preach and to teach, to share his word, his message, uh, the blessing that it was to hear from the mouth of the Son of God in real time. Um, Unfortunately, as they typically did, the Pharisees who were there in that one's house, uh, they didn't respond very well, as we just read in verse 53 and 54 said that when he was speaking to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently. Again, this is the New King James that I read out of, uh, preach out of typically. And to cross-examine him, the King James says to provoke him, which is it's a good translation. It means to provoke him with the intent of getting some answers out of him. To poke and prod, uh, to see what he would say and perhaps even incite him to say what they wanted him to. And that was... Their intent, they proved that. Um, Lying in wait for him, it goes on to say, looking to catch him in something he might say, that they might accuse him. And saints, if you read the Gospels very often, then you're you're fully aware that the Pharisees oftentimes did this, those ones who were counter to the the message that Jesus was bringing. I can give you a couple of examples, and I will. Mark chapter 3 and verse 1 says that Jesus entered into the synagogue again, this time I believe it was in Capernaum, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, not to see the blessing that could come, not to see the celebratory moment that could take place here that they could be impressed with and accept this man as the Son of God. But they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Similarly, we can read in John chapter 8 and verse 4, and I'm not trying to take you on a tour of the Gospels here, sorry for all of the squished in scriptures here, but John chapter 8 and verse 4, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in another account. In the very act, they say, now Moses and the law commanded us that, us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. So their motivations were less than pure, certainly less than honorable. They were always 
these ones who were counter to him, that didn't believe on him, never chose to believe in him, their purposes were certainly to find him guilty of something, guilty of even if they had to make it up. Uh, They wanted to prove him wrong. They wanted to prove him fraudulent. And if they couldn't do so, they wanted just to prove him gone. They wanted him off of the scene. And so it is today. Why do we consider this passage that we opened up with? Because, as often is the case when, when we consider a passage, we can compare it to where we are today. And we can see these same types of folks still doing what they do, doing what they did in that time, looking to dismiss history, you could say. Dismiss the reality of the history of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his birth, certainly, but all of those things that he stood for and taught and spoke and and all these things to try to still claim and prove him fraudulent, prove him to be something, well, something false, to prove his word wrong, to prove his word to be error, and to prove his followers to be errorsome in following that word. We see it all the time, certainly. Uh, It is unfortunate that even, well, a number of so-called faith leaders find themselves compromising today, compromising what what the word plainly says on so many things, not not difficult pieces where you have to perhaps seek the Lord for a conviction in in what it means and and, uh, draw inferences and that sort of thing, but where it simply says what the word says. Oftentimes, even those ones who are put in place of authority, or at least have put themselves in a place of some spiritual authority, well, they'll, they'll push certain things aside so that they might look as though they're inclusive, look as though they're progressive. And I say look intentionally because it's not inclusive. When you sidestep the things of God and His Word. I had a conversation earlier this week, and we were agreeing as we sat there considering the state of things in the church today. Oftentimes, it's... Well, it's diluted. The word's been diluted down by just the number of different assemblies, a number of different denominations, a number of different ones that will stand under the banner of Christianity and throw out their own interpretations of things and different people who are struggling, looking for guidance and looking for some answers into why things are as they are. Well, they hear man's interpretation or man's, well, man's corruption of the word of God for what it is. And they hear falsehood. And oftentimes, as they're reading the Word, people who are struggling, people who have their trials and tribulations, people who can read in the midst of their trials and and struggles, and look and say, it says this, and he's telling me this. Or it says this, and she's saying something that goes completely against this. I don't know who to believe. And slam it shut, and it brings reproach on the things of God. That's not how it's intended to be. And saints, God's own people... God's own people, when they aren't settled for themselves in the Word, settled for themselves in understanding what the will of God is, they can be tossed around just so. And that's kind of what I'm seeing here in this, well, this 11th chapter of Luke. Uh, Ephesians 4.14, as you're turning back to our opening passage in Luke 11, Ephesians 4.14, Paul warns against being tossed to and fro, doesn't he? He says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about, with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We're not intended to be thrown about by, well, every well, every wind of doctrine, every different statement, every different interpretation, every different thought, every different dismissing 
of the obvious things that God has put into his word. And so I see that being illustrated here. We see it in the first verse of chapter 12. When an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. Now this is an illustration here. All these people coming together. An innumerable multitude, including, no doubt in my mind, these Pharisees that were present here in the prior chapter. And other ones who were there seeking Jesus to hear what he had to say. With godly intent, seeking Jesus. There being believers, I'm sure, to hear more of what he had to say. But there would be other ones there as well who had no interest in doing anything other than looking that they might accuse him. And so you have all of these different people in their own different frames of mind, in their own different contexts, all coming together, stepping this way and that, trampling on one another. Isn't that how it is sometimes when we have our struggles, when we have our situation? There's so much garbage out there that we have to weed through, and so many opinions, and oftentimes the, the worst opinions are the loudest voices. And they speak and they yammer on, and it can make even... Those ones who have some measure of faith struggle even further. Wonder, do I have it wrong? Or I, I feel like I know that this is not right here, but maybe I don't have the conviction or the constitution to say, to stand up and say something different. Or maybe they have it right. Can we, can we be so wrong and all of these people be? Or can we be so right and all of these people be so wrong? That sort of thing. Here all these people were gathered together, not in agreement, not in one accord. I'm confident of it. They were trampling on one another, not in a shared faith, not in a shared foundation. The foundation was there, certainly, but these ones were trampling on one another, uh, as, well, as we can see happening today spiritually. You know, it happens quite often, actually. You'll read about a soccer game or something over in Europe where it's a big, big deal, or you'll read about you know, concerts that we have here where something happens, right? Something causes a stir in one part of the crowd and everyone's crammed together and all of a sudden fear takes place and it seizes everybody and they all, they all run this way or that way or they can only run in one direction and yet they can't run at all and people get trampled and it is a bad, bad deal when people well respond in an irrational response. Something that they just get scared because of something that's going on even if, even if it's not necessarily a real threat. They create a threat in that fear. So it can be for us spiritually. Threats and, well, feigned threats can take place. Things that can't really even move us if we don't allow them to. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. We can respond rationally as children of God. It doesn't matter how, well, how, well, how many fearsome things can pop up, how many false accusations can be made, how many loud voices can be crying out things against the word and will of God. We don't have to respond to those things irrationally, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. It says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, a spirit of timidity spiritually, a lack of courage. He hasn't given us that lack, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, of a rational mind, of a rational, logical response, knowing full well, well, that, well, we can say Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means even standing in the face of danger, even standing in the face of struggle, even standing in the face of falsehood when it's presented to me. I don't need to be trampled, and neither do you, child of God. You don't need to be trampled in the midst of this innumerable multitude, even if they might be tossed to and fro, not knowing where to look, what to think, how to feel about the certain things that are taking place around us. We need not be trampled. Remember what was said in the first verse of chapter 12 of our passage in Luke 12. 
It says, in the meantime, in the meantime, while everyone was getting tossed around, in the meantime, while everyone was confused, while everyone was crushing one another, standing on one another, not knowing where to step, which direction, moving, getting pushed and jostled this way and that, perhaps this person's stronger than I am, so I'll just go in the direction that they're going because I don't have the capability of standing strong. In the meantime, what was Jesus doing? Jesus, it says, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, he was teaching. Jesus was standing strong. Jesus was standing firm. And his voice could be heard to those ones who wanted to listen. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He got straight to the point of that situation. And what he taught and continued to teach there was also pertinent for us. In verse 2, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. And that might speak specifically to the hearts of the Pharisees, which their hearts were revealed. We can read what their hearts were as we consider, well, the Gospels today. But looking at a big, broader thing. You know, people oftentimes say, I can't wait to get to heaven so I can ask God what He was thinking when this happened. <laughs> Let me caution you not to, not to speak that boastfully or that brashly. There have been times when I've thought to myself, you know, I don't see that I'm going to find an answer to this situation or this piece of scripture in this life. I wonder if that will be opened up to me then. Well, you know what, saints? We don't have to wonder too much about things. We don't have to... Well, I think that it's kind of perhaps not as simple as saying, I can't wait to go to the Lord and ask Him, what exactly is going on in Daniel 9? I think what's going to happen is when we get there, we're going to recognize Jesus. We're going to see him as he is. And we're going to recognize that in the meantime, all this time that we've been pushed this way or that way or attempted to be pushed this or that way, in the meantime, Jesus has been working. God has been behind the scenes taking care of things. And when we get there, we're going to recognize what has been taking place. We're going to see him as he is. Jeremiah 33 and verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And he certainly does show us those things even now when we call on him. But there will, there will be those things that will be deferred to a later time. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We'll understand who he is, why he is the way he is, how exactly he is. We're going to have a comprehension of him that we don't have today, that we don't have now. And we will have a full understanding, I believe, of the reality that in the meantime, while we've been sitting down here wondering, perhaps struggling at times, he's been fully in control of everything. And we will have a comprehension of what he was doing, why he was doing it what these things mean, even if he doesn't say, let me walk you through Daniel and Ezekiel and so on and so forth. Saints, we are children of God. There are assurances that we can rest in as a result of that. We need not be tossed to and fro. We need not be trampled upon by those who are struggling in things. We struggle ourselves, don't get me wrong. But people who struggle with things that are plain in Scripture, where we're going after we die, how we can get there, what our lives can be as children of God, we shouldn't be struggling too much with those things. We can stand strong. We can be a light to the world in regards to those things. And we can understand that even when we do struggle a bit, perhaps not knowing everything that we would like to know, in the meantime, God is working. Jesus is faithful. 
and we will understand everything that we need to know when we are in his presence for all of eternity. Until then, may we stand strong and not be trampled by those ones who would struggle and toss us to and fro. We don't have to do that, child of God.